Thanks, Eric. So Advent literally means the arrival, the arrival. That's what the word means. Most Orthodox and traditional churches still celebrate it. There's, they, each Sunday they light a new candle for Advent. It's sort of beautiful. It's gone missing in some of the more modern churches that we have. So in Christianity, we use this word to define specifically the arrival of God in the birth of the Christ child, and more generally, to define that period of time in which we celebrate Christmas. So what I want to do today is I want to really talk about preparing for Advent, preparing for Advent as defined as the coming of God. Because I think we all spend a ton of time preparing for Christmas, don't we? Shopping, baking, decorating, planning, et cetera, et cetera. But how many of us really spend time preparing for Advent, preparing for the coming of God? But I think we should, for it's really vital. I think it's vital to prepare for this. And I don't think we neglect it purposefully. Mostly, I think it's because we don't know how to do it. Perhaps that's a side effect of the observance of Advent that's gone missing from a lot of churches that many of us were part of growing up in. But I think more than that, I think it's because preparing for such a thing as the coming of God is far too mysterious and challenging. It's just really hard to wrap our heads around. How do we do that? But if we consider our parable, right, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, we must prepare. This is the thing we have to prepare. Now, of course, when Jesus was talking, he was talking primarily about the next tangible coming of God, the next time God stands on this earth. That's what I love about that song. That's okay. She's a nurse. Um, that song, why I love it so much, let all, let, all, let all mortal flesh be silent, that line about as the days of old he stood again on earth. I love that. So Jesus is talking about the next tangible time. But if we consider what Isaiah said some 700 years before Jesus, this is what Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus came. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So the parable is stunning. From an ancient time of preparing to Jesus' time. And it reminds us this. The coming of God in Bethlehem as the Christ child. The coming of God sometime in the future as the king of all mankind. And the coming of God as savior, redeemer to individuals each and every day is the same thing. It's the same coming. And so we have to prepare for it. And this is for everyone. This is for all of us here. Is there anyone here who feels they're 100% redeemed and there's no more redemption that needs to take place in them? No, so we all need to prepare for this coming. God wants to continually come to us. I think one of the hangovers from a more modern form of Western Christianity is that it's a one-time thing. We say a certain prayer and all of a sudden, boom, we're, we're done. No, that's not the narrative of Scripture. The narrative of Scripture is now, not yet. Now it is happening. Now God saves us, but not yet until he fully saves us. We need to prepare for the constant coming of God. And here's the thing. I think the preparation begins with silence and contemplation. That's what I think happens. So that we might understand what we're preparing for. We need to be still. We need to think about it. That's why I love this Advent devotion we have, and I'm always using an Advent devotional, because it's time to be quiet, to be still, and learn what we're preparing for. You see, this is no small thing, the coming of God. And before any of us take on a monumental task, we should sit and think about it probably, right? I think a lot of people get in trouble because they don't think about it. They enter into these things or jobs or relationships or careers or this or that without thinking about it first. 
And then all of a sudden they find out they're way in over their head. Jesus said, what man builds a tower without first counting the cost? Back in the 50s and 60s, Dan Berrigan was a Christian activist, a, a really great man, and, and he did a lot of good things. But he used to tell his activists all the time, don't just do something. Sit there. Sit there. Relax. Think about it before we go out and do something. But I think the coming of God is bigger than building a tower. It's bigger than any well-intended activism. So how much more should we sit and think about it? Sit and let God help us understand this great coming of his. And that's why I'm glad that many churches continue to celebrate Advent every year. It's an annual reminder to prepare for the coming of God. And how do we do that? And what does it look like? Listen to what the great prophet said about Advent. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Come on. There it is. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is big. It's epic. It's historic. And don't let it be smaller than it is. The coming of God is huge and I think understanding it helps us realize that it really does take preparation. So, St. John tells us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So, God's light is so complete, it can brighten every shadow and dispel any darkness. But here's the thing about God. He is an infinitely gentle lover. Infinitely gentle lover. Have you ever really considered the parable? All right, how many of you have heard this parable forever? Have you ever really considered what it's saying? So that when he comes and knocks, what door is this master knocking on? His own door. His own door he's knocking on. Put that in your theology of us, them. Sort of changes a lot, doesn't it? God's arrival is home. He's coming home. So here's the thing. This is why if our doors are closed and our shades are drawn, the light will stay outside. It won't force its way in. Understanding this helps us prepare. You see? That's why we need to understand what the arrival of God is. First, we have to be willing to look and acknowledge the dark corners that still exist inside of us deep inside, or sometimes not so deep inside, right under the surface. Or we will just assume the light has already fully come and we'll never open our doors for more to come in. Secondly, we have to be willing to look deep into the darkness of the world around us, to recognize it, to know it, to understand it, so we will know best how to share this coming light with the world around us. Of course, this is difficult for a number of reasons. It's even difficult to talk about this. So I want to encourage all of you to do one thing. If anything I say sends you down a rabbit hole, just try to hold on for the whole 
It's, it's only about 10 more minutes, but try to hold on for the whole thing, okay? Because it will come back around. If anything I say starts to send you down a rabbit hole, just say, wait, wait till I put this together. Here's why it's difficult to prepare for Advent. Number one, we often don't want to see the darkness in our own lives. It's far too painful, and it shatters the illusion that we are capable captains of our own souls. That's a big reason we don't want to prepare for Advent. Number two, the darkness in the world around us, the darkness of man's collective inhumanity to man is often much too brutal to watch. I mean, how many times do you see the headline of a news and you don't read the story because you don't want to know the details of that story? I'm watching an incredibly real-life drama right now, incredibly gritty, and Jennifer won't watch it with me. And the other day she was walking through and she goes, how can you watch stuff like that? I'm like, I, I know, I know. It's just that it's really a fascinating look at um, a, a city in America during a very difficult time. It's hard. If we take, in number three, this is hard because, and this might be one of the hardest things, and we're going to break each of these down in a second, but if we take a true, true and profound look into the darkness in us and in the world, we may end up discovering that our darkness is complicit in the horrors of the world darkness. So it's challenging. But here's the thing. No matter how uncomfortable this preparation is, we must do it. We have to do this to prepare. First, let's talk about looking at ourselves. This we need to do because remember, if we do not see our own darkness, we'll never open up to the light. We won't. Now, sadly, I think we don't do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, the first reason I don't think we tend to explore ourselves much as Christians is because in many ways, Christianity has been reduced to a moral religion, okay? So, we mostly subscribe to Dante's understanding of sin. It's amazing how some classics have really influenced us more than the Bible has. So, here's Dante's idea of sin. Sin, the big ones, they do it, not me. Then there's mistakes. Well, I did it once or twice. I don't do it a lot, but, you know, I can understand why they do. And human, I'm not perfect, just forgiven, okay? So, here's Dante's view of sin. And so as Christians, we subscribe to this view of sin, and we're constantly checking our lists and making sure our, you know, checking our lists, making twice, how does that song go? D whatever, how that goes, which is like the worst song ever made up. Like, it is the anthem for legalism and transactionalism. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice, and he's not going to come if you're naughty, right? It's like the worst song ever, ever. I mean, it's so fun to sing, but when you think about it, and we put that right into God, that's how we transact with God. It's, it's horrible, okay? So we do this, and what happens is this. We look inside. We don't see any of these major sins. And so we're like, well, we're light, and they're dark. And so we don't bother exploring the darkness in us because we, we don't have any, because we don't have any big sins. So therefore, there's no sin in us. There's no darkness, right? And that's where the secular divine split came from, the profane and sacred split. Years ago, Rich and I did an adult Sunday school class in another time in our life in another place where we tried to break the wall down between the secular and the divine because we think that's a fake wall. We don't think that comes out of the narrative of scripture at all. There is just humanity and God's love for humanity. And I think that's the idea I had the other day. I think we should do that. I really do. I think we should do a series on the secular and divine. All right. So let's, let's, we'll talk about that. Um, but see, that's not accurate. There are no big sins, and there's no little sins. 
Now, here's what I will concede for those of you that are forming arguments in your mind against me right now. Here's what I will concede. There are big symptoms and there are little symptoms. I will concede that all day long. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do symptoms really matter? Ask Rich. Ask Rich if symptoms matter. Rich cares about the cancer in his body, not the symptom. Symptoms are symptoms. It's the disease that matters. It's the disease. This is why St. John, echoing Jesus, said, if anyone hates their brother, they are a murderer. Hate, murder are symptoms. Yes, one of those is going to cause a lot more pain than the other, but it's still the same thing. It's coming from the same disease. God cares about the sin causing the symptoms, and this is Jesus' view of sin, which we should subscribe to over Dante's view of sin. There is sin, which has big symptoms. There is sin, which has medium symptoms, and there is sin, which has little symptoms. There's Jesus' view of sin, and that's what we should subscribe to, because when we subscribe to that, then we can look in, and even though we don't have any big sins or even medium sins, we can say, oh, you know what, there's some closets deep inside me that I've never opened. Or maybe they're open and we just don't realize it's sin. So there was a guy, a Christian, arguing the other day on some social media that I got the biggest kick out of. Well, actually, I didn't. I cried first, and then I said, oh. So there was a pastor down in Texas, and he was, he was arguing for supporting those you know, that are marginalized and oppressed and that need help. And this Christian, now he's a Christian. Listen, if you're not a Christian... I am 100% on board with you thinking this way. I have no problem with this, honestly. But to call yourself a Christian, so Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, said to him in writing, direct, as an evangelical Christian, so wait a second, if someone takes your coat, you're just going to let them? Well, let's see. This God you claim to follow said, if someone takes your coat... Let him have it. And oh, by the way, give him your shirt too. Do you see why we have to explore and prepare for Advent? How can we claim to follow Jesus Christ but think that way? But I get it. I get it. And we're going to get to that. But this is why we need to explore so that we understand, wow, it's dark. We need to open up our doors and let God come in. Prepare for the arrival. Prepare for the arrival. And see, here's the thing. All of these symptoms can be summed up in one little sentence. I mean, sin can be summed up in one little sentence that causes all these symptoms. It's all about me. That's it. And it's okay. No one should feel bad about this. We all live with this. It's all about me. Here's the problem. When this is the driving force in our life, our soul is a very dark place because it's now dominated by fear of losing whatever it is that me needs. Do you see? This is where it all started, fear. God said, you don't need that tree. And they were afraid they did need it, so they did it. And then they ran away in more fear. So does this make sense now? This is why Jesus said, the only commandment that matters is love one another. Why? Because when it's all about the other, 
You're not afraid. You see? It all fits together beautifully. You're not afraid. Fear is what causes all of this. And love, Scripture says, casts out fear. It's all about me. That's why we need to prepare. Preparing for Advent is an opportunity to examine the fear in our lives and let God come and speak to that fear. Let God be the light that overcomes the darkness in our lives because of that fear. Advent's beautiful, but that's why we need to prepare for it. Now, I think the second reason we don't like to do this is because for many of us, the grossly misunderstood and miscommunicated doctrine of man's sinfulness has often left us wanting. And I am really sorry to anyone here that has been hurt or still are hurt and disillusioned by what you may have been taught or told about that. I genuinely apologize. And I'm sorry you, you had to be hurt by that. You know, one of the Advent, uh, one of the Advent devotionals was written by Eric and Ashley that I posted. It was from December 2nd or 3rd, I think. And I posted on the Cana Facebook page and got an instant reply. And it was about this idea that growing up and learning that God really hates us. And we don't know what to do with that until we're good. And this person, it really resonated with them. And they instantly commented on it. Many of us, all of us, right? We all struggle with this. In fact, Jennifer and I were shopping Friday in Boston. And uh, honey, I don't know if you realized it, but I did because I'm just like that. So this guy comes up. He's like, hey, hey, will you take one of these? I'm like, yeah, sure. And he gave me this thing, foods that help. I was like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, oh, and take this one too. Judgment day. Are you ready? It was classic. It was I was like, what is it? Is it what, which one am I doing? And then I get in here. It's really not about foods that help prevent cancer. Judgment day. Are you ready? That's the God so many of us know. Except the biblical narrative doesn't know that God. The biblical narrative says, I've come to, to save you, to heal you, to put light into your darkness. Jesus himself said, I haven't come to judge the world. I've come to save the world. I, this narrative is fear-based. Just like our politics in our world. What? I think Jesus is different than our politics. It's not fear-based. I'm sorry if you've been hurt. But here's the thing. Hear this. Because I know I'm talking about, well, we need to explore the darkness. Yes, we do. Because think of it this way. God created us wonderfully, beautifully, perfectly. But sadly, sin has broken us and made us sick. It's made us sick. This is why Jesus said he came for the sick and not the healthy. We're sick. We're sick. But here's the thing. This doesn't mean we're vile, we're loathsome, creatures that God hates, and we too should have self-hatred. That's not what this means. Do you hate rich for being sick? Do you go to the hospitals and hate people for being sick? Ginny, do you despise your patients for being sick when they come to you? That's silly talk. Yet we've bought into that. And I'm sorry if you've bought into that. Think of it this way. <clears throat> Here's a way to think of the doctrine of original sin. 
Is there anyone sitting here, or do you know anyone in your life that can honestly say they are completely 100% healthy, physically, spiritually, morally, intellectually? Is there anyone you know? Are you? No. Okay, that's all Paul was saying. We're all sick. We're all broken. God made this beautiful world with beautiful creatures, and sin broke it. We need healing, and that's why we need to prepare, because we need to learn and be honest about our sickness. You know, you've heard me talk about my son before. I pretended for years there was nothing wrong with my son and told him there was nothing wrong with him. If I could take back every single time I said, son, there's nothing wrong with you, I would, but I couldn't. But then we got him a doctor and said, Noah, you are sick. And so we got him six weeks in the hospital so they could work on his brain. Do you know this summer, Rich was as feeling as healthy as he's ever been. Rich didn't have any symptoms when his cancer came back. He was preparing for a marathon, he was living large, and it's only because he's in protocol to be, text, chest, to be tested all the time that they found out he's sick. Now they can treat him. If all of us had access to that, who knows how many of us? When Rich was first diagnosed, same thing. He didn't wake up one day and have a tumor this big in him. That's not how it works. But when you get examined and you find out you're sick, then you can do something about it. If we sit and examine and say, wow, I am sick. God, help me. We can say to him, please fix me. Have mercy on me. That's why we prepare for Advent. Now, then there's plenty of preparing and needing to understand the world's darkness. Because here's the question. How else can we hope to help in a situation that we don't understand? How else can we? We need to be courageous enough, brave enough, bold enough to sit in silence and learn the darkness of the world. Then with understanding and wisdom from God, we may be able to bring the light to dispel that darkness. Politics of fear and theology of fear will never dispel the darkness in this world. I'm sorry, it won't. It adds to darkness. There's an old Christian rock song in which the singer sings, I'm going to kick the darkness till it bleeds daylight. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. At all. Consider Ezekiel. Now, this is just one verse because it's not in one verse. You have to read the entire book of Ezekiel, but we're not going to do that this morning. But let me help understand what happened in Ezekiel. The prophet lived in exile among the exiles. And he learned to know them. He sat and wept with them, and he understood them, and then he spoke to them. Not before. Not before. And isn't this really a large part of what the Advent was all about? Excuse me. Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity and relative silence before he began to minister to the people. Yes, God created man. He knew all about man. But in the end, God wasn't man. So he came and, as a man and lived among us and then understood how to bring his light into the darkness. If God himself works that way, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? I think perhaps we should. But it's easier to join the hate, isn't it? 
and join the yelling and the screaming and condemnation and judgment and just do that instead of try to figure out what's wrong and solve the problem. And I know it's hard. Listen, I have trouble with this, trying to understand people. And I have good friends that will look at me like I have 10 heads when I'm trying to explain that maybe that person did that because of A, B, and C, and they just look at me like you're nuts. Because it's so much easier to just judge and hate people. And right now, in a time in our own culture, when hate seems to be a freight train screaming down the tracks, and sadly it seems like Christians are driving that freight train, it's really hard to do this. It's really hard. But we have to. There's only one reason Jesus laid on the cross with his blood splattered all over these people hammering nails on them and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He understood why they were doing it. If we could take time and understand. And finally, and this is the most challenging for me, we need to prepare for the arrival of God by discovering our own complicity in the darkness of the world around us. And this is especially challenging because we are mostly, and please don't be offended, I'm talking to myself as much as anyone else, we are mostly blissfully and maybe willfully ignorant in our cooperation in the oppression of others in the world's injustices. And I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just, see, it's all about me. That's why it's so hard, right? Don't tell me, I don't want to know, don't, don't tell me why we should buy these and use these and fill these up. Don't tell me. I'm going to continue to buy my plastic bottles of water thing. Don't tell me. It's easier to live that way, right? Don't tell me my sneakers were made by child slaves. Don't tell me, don't tell me. Don't bother me. My life is convenient like this. And we could go on and on and on and on. But this is why we have to prepare as hard as it is. And listen, it's hard. It's hard. I know it is. But when we're sick, isn't it often hard getting better? I mean, Robert couldn't walk, so he had to have surgery. Not fun. I had to get a root canal last Friday. Oh, that's the dumbest thing ever. That's barbaric. I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm like, this is actually happening. I'm seeing these drills go into my mouth. But man, does my tooth feel better now. But that wasn't easy. And none of this even comes close to what Rich is dealing with. But then we get healthy. Then we get healthy. With courage and with the help of the Holy Spirit, if we're honest in our preparation for God's coming, he will help us put on the mind of Christ. He will. Make us other-centered as Christ wants us to be. And he'll give us the desire and strength to stop adding to the world's darkness and be part of the arrival of God. Which, by the way, is God's arrival to us. And that's what fixes us. For even our complicity in the world's darkness, it's just because of our own brokenness. That's all. He understands. And that is what this is all about. The coming of light that banishes darkness, that keeps us sick, 
The darkness keeps us sick. So please be sure of this. Remember a little while ago I said try to stay focused. Hear this. If you heard nothing else today, I want everyone please to hear this. This exploration of darkness in us and around in the world is not toward condemnation, self-pity, feelings of worthlessness, being prepared for judgment, or so we will run and hide from a supposedly angry God. No, that is not what the preparing for arrival, uh, the arrival is. God comes because he loves us just the way we are. Remember, he's coming home to his home. And don't misunderstand that either, because that's how this also gets twisted. It gets twisted into, oh, we've got to get the house clean because he's coming home. Nope. It said, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. That's it. Prepare. It's not like when the in-laws are coming and you have to clean the house top to bottom. You know, when my, my mother, God bless her, I love her to death. She doesn't get east a lot anymore because she can't. But when she does come east, oh, no, Jennifer goes into a tizzy. But I understand why. Because it's my mom. And my mom will come in with white gloves. And, and she'll be like, uh, David, there's a lot of dust in the house. I'm like, Mom, it's our house. It's not your house. That's not God. God isn't coming to us with white gloves on to make sure it's clean. He's coming to do the cleaning. That's the great God we have. We just got to open up. Say, oh, God, you're going to be really... Ugh. And he's like, no, no, come on, let's go. Get the windows open, get the buckets out, and I'll help. Better yet, I'll do it. And I'll make you healthy and clean. Understand what St. John said. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Advent is here. The arrival is always happening. Always. And that should give us the courage to own our darkness, confess it, and let his light transform our souls. And then through us, transform the souls of those we meet. The world needs the true light. Right now, perhaps more than ever. Let's be the lamps, trimmed and burning, that bring that light. With God's help, amen. Teenage girl and her soon-to-be A simple trip for as they could see The sky was clear and the hour serene But did they know what the night would bring? strewn across the land They'd been waiting long for a healing hand My heart was there and I felt the chill 
Shepherds stood under stormy skies, tasting grace that would change their lives. The angels trembled and the demons did too, for they knew very well what pure grace would do. Stood still.